0: Everyone, so happy to be here today. Um, lovely summer's day, and Tim and I have got oh, hi Tim.
1: Kia ora. you got me just as I was drinking a sip of water. It's like when the you know, when the wait staff come round to your table, and it's always at the exact moment you've taken a mouthful and they go, How's the food? Yeah, it happens to me every time.
0: I mean, yeah, today we also have with us Erica Finney, who is the campaign and community organizer for 350 Aotearoa. Hi, hello. It's lovely to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's really exciting. Oh, it's awesome. And you're also the director of 350 Aotearoa. Yes. But you don't quite like that title so much. Soon to be co-director, which is a bit nicer. But <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I think it's a reflection of the fact that we're a movement um, and we're pretty non-hierarchical. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you here. Um, we, uh, I, My background is more zero waste, which kind of focuses on like What's so bad with plastic and all of that stuff? And I am know that I've been way more comfortable in terms of thinking about extinctions and what we're doing to the planet on that level. And when it comes to carbon in the atmosphere, I have always been just a little bit uninformed and a little bit lost because it's so much less uh, tangible. So I really wanted to get you in here today to just help us uh, do some, some 101, like help me sort it out. Yeah, sure.
1: So let's start from the very beginning because Waveney has mentioned 350.org lots of times across the series. That's true. Hey, Erica, what is it?
2: Cool. So um, 350.org is a um, global but also grassroots campaigning organization. Um, and the name stems from this report that came out um, from one of NASA's top climate sci- scientists, um, identifying that 350 parts per million is a safe level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, um, which is like means nothing to all of us, right? Um, but for context, I was born in 1994, um, and at that point we were at 358 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And it goes up by around like three or four parts per million a year, but it's, that's accelerating. Um, right. And we're already going straight into the science. Um. <laughs>
0: well, this is where the name <laughs> comes from. Yeah, so where I the guess name comes, comes from. from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so to summarise, it's a really big frickin' deal yeah. that it's over 350 parts per million. Yes. Yeah. What, I mean, what's going to happen? Because we are over it and everything seems more or less all right. There's a few big, Well, there's a few big fires here and there. There's a few ice caps melting. But if, if we didn't have that international news mm. as a New Zealander, just, you know, we're on the beaches enjoying our summer. Um, if you want to ignore it, you can.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. I think I'd argue that if you're in Southland at the moment, you might be finding it harder to ignore the flooding that's happening, um, which is much more extreme than we usually would see at this time of year. Um, and we're experiencing drought in Aotearoa that's... Um, fairly unprecedented. I guess um, when it comes to climate change, it does help to start global in order to think about um, the local, which is kind of where scientists started picking up that the earth was warming. Um, So basically that's what kind of got people thinking about this years ago. And I I think the first time people started having an idea that the earth was warming was before 1900. So like it's been talked about by scientists for a very long time. Um, But in the 80s was a period where a number of scientists started picking up on the fact that the earth was warming at a rate that was much higher than before. Um, And
0: basically like looked to signals as to what this could be coming from. Um, It seems so weird now to think that they didn't know in the 80s what it was coming from. Yeah. They
1: did. There's I mean that, yeah little, I did a little bit of background research and I went on 350.org and started looking at some of the videos and there's this fantastic like 12 minute sort of intro video with with the founder of 350.org what's his name again? Bill McKibben. Bill McKibben? McKibben. McKibben yep. who who wrote this book in like 1986 but they were talking about how Exxon the big oil company like they knew the stuff Not in 1978 and yep. these reports that they mm. never released to the public but they started building their oil rigs taller Based on the fact that they figured out the ocean rise was going to happen in the seventies, and they didn't the the ocean,
0: It has been rising, hasn't it, over the last hundred years? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the kind of the key thing that
2: they identified was the main cause behind this warming was greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Um so greenhouse gases. I mean, it's beautiful that the name is the the best thing to um, find a metaphor for. Um if you imagine a greenhouse, um, and its purpose is to keep things inside it warmer than the outside atmosphere. Um, there's gases in our atmosphere, um, like carbon, like methane. Um, that's job basically is to trap heat. Um, and with the industrial revolution and humans starting to use, um, like, use fossil fuels and use cars in a way that was um, exponential to the way it was before, um, those gases increased in the atmosphere and meant that warming was happening at a rate that was unprecedented. And um, I guess as it continues to happen, um, the earth has certainly warmed before and it's gone through periods of cooling and warming. Um, But the rate that we're warming is like nothing that we've seen before. And it means that everything on earth will have trouble
0: adapting to that change. Um, Mm. So that's kind of like, you know, before when I was saying, yeah, but we're already over 350. So what's the big deal? Sure, we get a bit more of extreme weather, but that's interesting, isn't it? Like, so it's there are some consequences that will be just taking a little bit longer to kick in. Yeah, and you're you're sort of saying that all life on Earth will be struggling to adapt. All y- of it. Yes, exactly. Ah! Yeah, it's crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I guess I mean that's the the basics. Um, some of the stuff that I, I mean, it's also really hard to predict the future. Um, and as someone who's much more social, social science than science I I haven't been one to follow kind of the key potential outcomes of climate change. Um, but one of the key things that really scares me and really scared me when I first started hearing about climate change was the idea of tipping points. Um, and yeah, we hear
0: about tipping points a lot. Yeah,
2: the fact that we could get to points where the systems that we have that enable humans to live on Earth or enable... Um, Systems to regulate might operate in ways that we're not sure what will happen. Um, So, for example, um, ice sheets in the Arctic and Antarctica, um, once they get to a point of melting where there's less surface area for them to um, reflect the sun, warming will happen at a much faster rate.
1: And Uh, there's this sort of weird negative feedback loops where it sort of starts accelerating because it started happening, right? Like if the ice sheets melt, more sunlight... And then also more release of methane in certain bits, you know, yeah, ice certain sheets, yeah. which then speeds up the heating again and it just kind of spins out of control. Yeah.
0: So but so apart from a bit of crazy weather, we haven't seen the impacts. Of, but of We've kind of got these um, delayed responses. We're sort of on this roller coaster. We've set it in motion. If we don't do anything, we're on this track for all this crazy stuff to be happening.
2: Yeah, ex- yeah exactly. I mean... I'm I'm really hesitant to say that it's not already happening. Um, I think in New Zealand we're really luckily, lucky that we aren't seeing some of the most severe impacts of climate change mm, at the moment. Mm. Um, but and certainly yeah. in the Pacific and in areas um, like Syria and places where they experience drought.
0: Um,
1: yeah. I mean, Australia did just go so, down recently. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just to
0: clarify, I don't want to come across as a sceptic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm meaning not in terms of what is actually happening at all. I'm meaning in terms of what your average person is perceiving as they go around their regular days. Right, yeah, and then What is
2: everyone talking about?
0: It seems all right to me.
2: Yeah, in New Zealand it might feel like, oh, we're having a slightly warmer summer, Um, which not everyone minds. But Mm -hmm. um, I guess the key thing is that um, particularly carbon dioxide has a 100-year lifespan in the atmosphere. So what we emit today, the impacts of that will be seen in 100 years. Um oh, wow! So the fact that we, uh, which is why um people have been talking um really strongly about that we have a certain period of time to act to stop the worst of um the climate crisis. Basically, for more time than I've been alive, governments have been trying have been meeting annually trying to discuss how they, address climate change and what commitments each country will take to reduce their emissions in order to stop warming.
1: Historically, this is like the Kyoto Protocols and then Copenhagen and... um, Yeah, exactly.
2: So the the annual COP conferences, the Paris... Paris Accords. Mm. Yeah, so in 2015 was when the Paris Agreement um, came through um, and then was signed in the next year. Um, And in that pretty much every government in the world, there's a few exceptions, uh, agreed to limit global warming. I use the word climate change, but when we're talking about warming, um, to, to two degrees, um, with the aim of limiting to 1.5. So two degrees is like the absolute limit. 1.5
0: is, that would be more
2: ideal. I've
0: um, heard that we're already on about one degree. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so we're already one degree warmer than pre-industrial um, levels. And... Uh, So then that was in 2015 and then in 2018 um, the IPCC which is like the main body of climate scientists that basically come together and create reports that inform, that's the science that informs these negotiations, um, released a report called the 1.5 report um, which basically put uh, projections of what a world at 1.5 degrees looks like versus a world at 2 degrees and And essentially the difference is the lives of millions of people. It's pretty massive in terms of the impacts that we will see, particularly on low-lying nations and in terms of extreme weather events happening.
0: Mm. So it's sort of exponential, is that right? The difference between one and two isn't double, it's just exponential. Yeah. 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 And I heard someone once say, because again, it's like for people to really grasp why this is a big deal, when you go, oh, yeah, summer's a bit warmer, it's kind of nice, whatever. um, It was talking about our own body temperature and what a big deal it is for that to go up by one degree. Oh, that's a good analogy. If you're, and it's very similar, it's a really complicated um, system that's in equilibrium. Yeah. And if it just... is tweaked just a little bit you're in hospital with a fever it's really life-threatening
1: if you go up by one degree you've got a fever but if you go up by two degrees you're probably dead yeah
0: Yeah. big deal big deal and then and then it's like for us uh, as a system uh, uh, we can we can tolerate that like say it's a fever and then we can heal ourselves and come back down but if we if that's just our new normal our body obviously can't adapt to that um yeah
2: exactly and and Although that commitment has been made by governments, the trajectory that we're on at the moment looks more like three point five to four degrees of warming, um,
1: which is terrifying. It's terrifying.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So, when was like again? This is something I've heard people like cynics say um, that oh, uh, we have had these really high levels before. In fact, we've had much higher levels of carbon dioxide before. but my understanding is that we haven't really had these levels anything above. Because um, what are we on now? Like for we're above we've been we're above four hundred now parts per million. Four hundred and fifteen. Wow. And my understanding is that the last time we got anywhere past four hundred was like three million years ago. Like that's before humans were really doing their thing. Yeah, and um, it's, <laughs> we don't really know what it's like to be in a in a world that's operating in that way. So I've got a um
2: stat that's not about the parts per million, it's about the temperature, um, which kind of puts that into perspective, which is that conservative estimates of climate change show a warming of the global temperature by about 0.2 to 0.6 degrees per decade.
0: Sorry, um, can you say that again?
2: Estimates at the moment that are fairly conservative yeah. um, expect that we're going to have warming of about 0.2 to 0.6 degrees per decade. Okay. Um, by comparison... The average change um, from seven to 15,000 years ago was 0.005 degrees per decade.
1: Whoa. So it's increasing. I can't do the math in my head, but that feels like thousands of times faster than Yeah. So it's, it's, would be normal. it's
2: both the fact that we're warming and it's the fact that it's happening at a rate that we've never seen before. Um, Which makes it really hard to make predictions.
1: Could we balance a little bit of this with um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) my eyeballs have gone really wide.
1: (laughs) I'm quite keen to, and we can kind, we'll we'll dip in and out of the science for sure. And I'm also aware that your background, as you mentioned, is is more the social science and the people side of this rather than the hard, um, you know, physics and biology and that side of things. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about 350.org and and what it does, what its aims are?
2: Yeah, sure. And yeah, it's actually really interesting talking about the science, because I don't do it very often. Um, generally, this, the it's interesting, because when we started, um, 350 started 11 years ago, um, and I was involved in the group that set up a 350 branch in New Zealand at that time. Um, How old were you then? 14. That's amazing. Um, so and, cool. Yes. I've grown up with this organisation, so it's pretty cool. Um and at that point, a, a lot of what we were really focused on was like, we've got this number about what was safe. Um, let's just tell people about it. Let's tell governments about it. Let's a make sure. A rocket yeah. gave it to us. It's legit. <laughs> um, and a lot of the work that 350 did was really focused on educating people around climate science. Um, With the belief that if only people knew, then yeah. everyone would change their behavior. But turns out that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, And about, what are we now, 2020, about six years ago, um, globally, the organisation really shifted its focus. Um, And coming in the context of at this point, um, we hadn't signed an international agreement on climate change. Um, And basically, we're looking at, like, who is stopping progress on acting on climate change? Like, what are the biggest, um, what are the biggest blocks to doing anything about this. Getting more strategic. Yeah. Um, and one of the, probably the scariest thing that I'm going to say today um, is that a report came out that um, identified that only 100 companies were responsible for 71% of warming since wow. the Industrial Revolution. Gosh, so you can count them. You can, 100 companies. Yeah. You can name them. Name them. Yeah. 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 And the ones that are um, like... My work focuses on and um, come top of mind for me uh, are ExxonMobil, Chevron, BP. Um, They're the most powerful oil oil and gas and coal companies in the world. And our focus as an organisation really came to saying, okay, what is it that we need to do to stop these powerful corporations um, from continuing to wreck our planet? And that's kind of where the fossil-free or the divestment movement spurred from is that... These companies have more oil and gas in the ground, five times more than what we can emit to stay below two degrees of warming. Five times more currently in reserves. Wow. And they're they're still exploring. And they're still exploring. Yeah. And I mean, that's what makes them, um, that's what investors invest in is the fact that they've got all this opportunity, right? Yeah. Um, So we need to break their social license to operate. So they're ability to be like accepted in our communities. I find the analogy of tobacco really helpful in this space. Um, How do we make oil companies as dirty and corrupt and bad for us as how we frame tobacco companies in our society?
1: Or like just accurately Not healthy for us. Yeah, Yeah, accurately depicted. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, They do a lot of bad, like even shady stuff to, well, as we were saying before, like hide reports that they're sitting on where they know the amount of damage that they're doing to the planet. And they make changes to their business practices so they can survive it, but they don't tell the rest of us that they're like poisoning the whole atmosphere.
2: Yeah, exactly. And they've had scientists on their team who have known for years the impacts that they're having. And they also have a really strong hold on um, governments through lobbying. So I won't get into that, but um, yeah. Um, And the kind of tactic that came from that was like everyone everywhere has a stake in some kind of institution, whether it's your university, your church, your um, city council, um, your bank, and all of these institutions um, have investments. Um, And the way that they can take action on climate change is to pull their investments or divest from the industry that's wrecking their planet. And that's kind of where this movement absolutely blossomed. Um, Yeah. So... In Aotearoa, it's kind of started with the churches. The Anglican Church was the first institution in New Zealand to divest. And it's generally the places that campaigns have sprung up were kind of the organisations that we as campaigners could see have some kind of duty to the community or to the earth. Um,
0: You're a bit naturally loaded that way. Yeah, and so, maybe just haven't made the connection that, yeah. oh, well, if you ha- already have those values, then therefore should divest.
2: Yeah, so it's generally been public institutions um, that are there to serve people. Um, so councils and... Um, universities? Universities, yeah. We finally cracked Auckland University, the big bad one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did that take ages? Year. Yeah, it was a five-year campaign. Um, wow. Which, that was actually basically where I learned how to campaign. Um, I have always been interested in climate change and, um, have always like got involved in stuff, but that's kind of where I had the journey of being like, right, who's the decision maker? Who's the target behind this? Um, how do we find all the ways to influence this key person who was the vice chancellor and also the university foundation that holds the funds? What were the ways?
0: How did you influence the vice chancellor?
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, it's five years, so there's a lot. I mean, yeah, I could, yeah, I could yeah. probably do this podcast over talking about our tactics. Um, it was generally finding, um, I mean, it was, it was two things. Our two goals were to divest and to build a movement of, on campus of people that are acting on climate change. Um, so everything that we did had both of those in mind. We never wanted to divest quietly by meeting with the Vice-Chancellor and like, getting him to agree. Um, the whole point is to also build community and to build movement through the process. Um, And to empower people to know that they actually can have a massive influence. Um, I guess the key to to divestment is that um, if you were to go, maybe I'm jumping here because it's more of a bank example, which is our key campaign at the moment, Um, so I'll come back to it, but if you were to go into your bank and say I'm switching banks um, because you invest in fossil fuels um, and I'm going to move to a bank that has lower investments or doesn't um that's got a bit of power um the bank manager might be a little bit interested in what you've done but it's not going to shift the bank's model um but if groups of people can come together and um have used tactics that um really impact the the brand of the bank um and Start to worry them about the things that they care about, which are money and reputation. Yeah, because um, they
1: spend, universities spend an obscene amount of money on advertising yeah, every exactly. year to, to put their brand and their reputation out there for potential students. Yeah. So that's what you were targeting.
2: Yeah, often brand um, and also pulling out kind of the – every time they said something that was saying that they're a sustainability leader um, – we would find ways
1: to. You would politely remind everyone. Politely that they were remind still everyone invested. that they invest in fossil fuels. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, and yeah, it's also. I mean, it's it's not the end as well. It's also encouraging people to. Um, when you divest, the call is to then invest that money in um, clean technology and renewables. So it's about the fact that there's all this money sitting behind the fossil fuel industry that is continuing to wreck the planet. And um, and we need to shift that towards the transition towards renewables and to a, a low-carbon economy. Um, and while the former continues to be profitable, um, there's less incentive for the latter to happen. So it's-
1: I think that's such a useful thing to have a solution to the problem, to not just go to the, whoever it is, the university or the bank or the mutual fund, whatever, and go, hey, stop investing in fossil fuels. But you actually go, hey, take that money that's in fossil fuel investments and put it in green energy tech Mm -hmm. investments, which apparently are doing quite well on the whole and outperforming um, the general index.
0: Invest, yeah. I also like how you take something that is enormously global. You talk about the 100 most powerful companies, and the first ones you rattled off were the oil companies, and then you think, oh, what what can I do? Like there's a massive gap there between us and them and that power, feeling like there's a power that you could have to influence that situation. But actually it's just a two-step process. It's like everybody's involved in some sort of an institution, um, even if it's only your bank or KiwiSaver fund. But for a lot of people, it's often some sort of a group as well. Like you mentioned the churches or whatever, um, or your council. And and just – it, oh, it makes so much sense. Yeah. It's a really powerful and easy thing. So you're just suggesting to people to email, petition? Wh- how do, how how would people directly influence those institutions?
2: Yeah, I'm going to take one step back and just add another thing that is my favourite thing about it, which is the fact that it's, it's like super localised. It's not just like Aotearoa focused. And it means that you don't have to be in Wellington and have like, you don't have to go to parliament and you don't have to, um you don't necessarily have to have tools to know how to do this stuff. Um, it's really easy to get part of a group. And um, when it's something that you know, like something that's local to you, you, you already know all the things that are going to help to influence it. Um, so at university, it was just like people come up with ideas of something we could do on campus that would engage students. Um, who are the best people to know how to yeah. engage students on yeah, campus? Yeah. Other students. Um, yeah. Same as in churches. Like, it's not having outsiders coming in and saying, hey, this is how you need to run a campaign. Um on something and this is how you shift power there's a bit of that but like um none of us really knew what we were doing and we won a campaign right and that's happened everywhere
0: awesome
1: (laughs) having one solution for every institution is not going to work because like everyone's so different their point of view is so different that you need to appeal to their perspectives and you can only really do that by having like a dispersed group which it sounds more and more like 350.org is
2: yeah exactly so i mean we there's Websites that have resources, and we, um, particularly in Aotearoa, we're really good at acting as a network. Um, and so, I mean, my role is essentially to coordinate this network of groups around the country who are doing this. Which means that we can share tactics and develop skills within each of those groups. That mean that they can win their campaigns. Um, I can't even
0: remember what you asked me now. <laughs> That's right. I've got another question. <laughs> um, I want to know how uh, if you're if you're looking at your own. Sort of ability to make a difference, and your in this whatever the group is. How do you even know if they've already divested or not? Like if you ask them, and they might not even know. Or like, is there? I know that you guys do have some cool on, online resources. Yeah, in terms of like listing who's who's in, who's out. Yeah, uh, we do. But basically, unless someone has
2: divested, they probably have investments in fossil fuels.
1: Um, yes, but, and they will tell you. They'll kind of, yeah. generally speaking, they'll make a bit of a song and dance about it.
0: Yeah. So. Um, so the default is unless someone can confidently say, "Oh, I know that we have divested," yes, then uh, you've
1: probably got pretty money much, yeah,
0: yeah. You yeah, need to run. A Basically, campaign. if you've got shares,
2: you've got investments in fossil fuels, um, which okay, it's a good question. Yeah,
0: have you got shares? Do you know if they haven't? So you divested? can either have a
2: direct investment in the company, um, or you can be indirectly invested through shares in a market, um, and most, uh, most institutions that have investments will have some kind of share and yeah so in order to divest from fossil fuels you have to exclude fossil fuel companies from that and most fund managers can do that so it's yeah um,
1: I, I think there's this there seems like now because of the pressure that groups like 350.org have created there's more funds popping up that specifically are fossil fuel free yeah exactly or, or specifically even just a green tech but shared fund. Because with the stock market, you, you either buy shares directly in a company itself or you buy um, shares mm. in a managed fund by someone and those funds are just like a huge pool of lots of different shares so that everything kind of can balance out and there's not too much risk. But it seems like what had been lacking previously was specific – like you had nowhere to go if you're a fund manager where you needed a div- you had a huge pot of money, so you need a diverse portfolio. Yeah, You're looking for a well-performing fund. But it's like no one has specifically made a fund that is – green-friendly or fossil fuel-free, but they are starting to do that yeah. now because yeah. of the pressure that's been put on them. And it, it seems like just from articles that Waveney and I have sort of been sharing on the podcast and our good news um, episodes that, that – did you mention that this started in earnest with 350.org about four or so years ago?
2: About six, 2014. Right.
1: Yeah. And it seems like it's really like recently just – Got it's reached <laughs> yeah, a tipping yeah. point
0: yeah you know? it's actually been, it has it's oh i love that that positive tipping
2: point yeah 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 so last year in september um was kind of the last big announcement about um 11 trillion dollars worth of funds has been divested from fossil fuels which wow. is huge and i think that is that reflects the fact that it's happened everywhere you know it's been a global yeah. movement and each divestment and each city or town or university has contributed to that large sum. There's no way that one group of campaigners could have such a large impact on the finance sector. Um, Yeah, and it's also meant that some of the, like, biggest financial institutions globally um, are starting to divest. Like BlackRock. Like BlackRock, the world's biggest asset manager, um, has just divested from coal it's still got oil and gas
0: investment now see that is actually in their <laughs> name right black rock <laughs> yeah. like, is that they must be what their name originally referenced i don't know but i wonder yeah. i don't know Who the knows? black rock let's make some money out of it and like the rockefeller brothers have divested Really, their money
2: wow. was from oil and gas originally yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. they don't want to be associated with it anymore
1: because of what you mentioned before of this breaking of the social license like I'd, i it's such a It's such an incredible thing to see that it was successful. It just seems like it was so (laughs) unlikely. Yeah. And now it is not at all a fringe thing. When you're talking $11 trillion divested, like this is the most mainstream a thing could be then. That's just so much money and the biggest funds coming out of it now. It makes me think that there needs to be more of these campaigns of, like everyone loves backing a winner. And I I was listening again to our um, episode that we did with Robin Malcolm a while ago, and she's like a lifelong activist. And she spoke a few times about how people hate getting a finger wagged at them and saying, you're doing the wrong Mm -hmm. thing, you're living your life wrong, da-da-da. But people bloody love a success story. They love a victory. So it seems like the tactic, and maybe you can speak to this in terms of how you actually change people's behavior over time, but... If you tell everyone, you're like, hey, we started a campaign six years ago to try and get money out of um, fossil fuels, and now $11 trillion has been divested. People are like, dang, that's, they, did, they did it. I want <laughs> oh, on board. How yeah. do I get a piece of that yeah. action? Is that, What have you found that actually shifts, that, that's been effective, like in this long-running war with uh, Auckland University or other parties? like What are the mechanisms that shift it?
2: Oh, it really depends on um, the institution. I think um, for s- for some, like for example, the Anglican Church was the quickest because immediately it was understood by most of the congregation that um, this is a moral issue um, and that they wanted to be standing on the right side of right side of history when it comes to climate action. Right. Um, sometimes you don't know, and actually. Yeah. So I've had a really weird experience over the last 12 months of winning heaps of campaigns <laughs> and being like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't experienced this before. <laughs> um, and sometimes they come absolutely out of nowhere. Like, um, So it, I don't think there's ever any one tactic that, that does it. I think it's always the... Um, the combination of things and the persistence over time. Maybe,
1: uh, maybe the maybe the takeaway there is that you just gotta try. Yeah, you just exactly. gotta keep doing the work, and then things start clicking over weirdly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh <laughs> well, well, it's tipping point. Yeah, it, 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 you really are on the other side of this. It's So exciting. Yeah, and I think I mean
2: I had the the coolest. Someone told me the coolest thing recently, which is so one of the key things that three fifty Oceano has focused on is not just this like divestment of public institutions um but actually who are the key who are the key players that are enabling new fossil fuel projects to go ahead. Um, and basically when uh when a fossil fuel company wants to go ahead with the project, they generally need a loan to make it happen. Um, so they require Banks to support their projects, um, and that's been the sh- the shift as we're having lots of wins in the broader divestment spaces. Okay, we've got it to the point where it's mainstream. Now we need to target the big bad guys, and we have the power to do that now because so we've got banks. Yeah,
0: <laughs> just clarifying who our baddies are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of baddies in this story. <laughs> well, how do I know if my bank's a good one or not?
2: We've got a ranking of the banks on our website, um, and yeah, this is that's it, that's reminded me of what I was going to say is um, I think it's been a really useful tool for people, um, and like I've said, our our tactic is never to just get individuals to go out and change banks, um, and it's definitely a choice that I think everyone should think about. But I also think that you should get involved in a group um, and not just leave it at that. Um, but have had feedback. That because, so basically in, in New Zealand, there's kind of two sets of banks. There's our New Zealand owned banks, um, who have fairly small capabilities in terms of lending, which has meant that they in the past have not invested or lent to fossil fuel companies. Um, and then there's our major banks that are Australian owned, um, who have much bigger portfolios behind them um, and have and continue to be big investors and lenders to fossil, to fossil fuel companies. Um, the last time we released kind of a key report around the banks was in 2018, and that was using figures from the last two years, um, which is actually nice timing because it's since the Paris Agreement was signed and heaps of businesses have also said we're committed to the Paris Agreement, including these four major banks, so um, ANZ, ASB, BNZ and Westpac. Since then, those four banks have collectively loaned over 20 billion Australian dollars to fossil fuel projects. So they're giving big money to something that they're saying, oh, we've got this great climate policy and we care about this, um, but their lending behaviour does not reflect their commitment. Do you
1: you know what they're doing to say that they are keeping up with the Paris Accords commitments that they've made? Like, what are the... what? If, if they're, they're recycling still recycling their office paper. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Is that yeah. the kind of so stuff... So a lot of like, them claim it, to
2: be carbon neutral as well, which is, yes, that they have... They might have some offsetting...
1: Their specific physical of operation exactly. of have Corporate how they Volunteer
2: run. Day. Yeah.
1: But, of course, that's not, some trees. that's not the impact of a bank. Not. The impact of a bank is where it's throwing its money at. Exactly. It's Far Sponsor
0: out. a... Sponsor a conservation project.
2: Yeah. But they also sponsor the petroleum industry in New Zealand, which is another yeah. little fun one. Um, but yeah, it means that we've we've had these, this information out there for people to better understand where their money is going. Because, I mean, this is all of our savings being pulled together and linked to fossil fuel companies. Mm-hmm. We should know, eh? Yeah, we should know. Um, and maybe I'll come to KiwiSavers in a little bit. But we've had awesome feedback that um, – so th- one of our campaigns at the moment is actually – not just targeting those Australian banks, but we're asking for New Zealand banks um, that don't have a history of investing or lending in fossil fuels to set a precedent in the sector by putting forward policies that say that they never will. Um, and have had we're hoping that we're going to get our first fossil-free bank um, early this year. Um, Can but, you say who? And-
0: <laughs> let's,
1: let's not jeopardise <laughs> yeah. a good thing.
2: Um, I mean, they've been talking about it public. Kiwi Bank have been promising a policy release um, basically to their customers for a year, so um, right. it's time to crack down and make it happen, I think. Come on. Um, But heard that, that someone who recently switched to TSB, um, someone at the branch said, wow, um, we've had so many people move to TSB because of this organisation. Like, they, they came in and said, hey, I've heard about 350 or and." Wow, the, you, you guys are become table. an advertising agency yeah, for the no, banks. Which is like, <laughs> I don't know about that. But <laughs> they've said like we will never, they've got a policy that rules out investments. They haven't ruled out lending. Um, Interesting. But they've basically
1: What is the difference? It seems so similar.
2: So lending is like specifically giving a loan.
1: To an operation that yeah. could be looking for a gas reserve or something. Yeah. I mean well,
0: investing you don't get your money back. It is yeah. like you
2: you get banks, like like so a tartan about So I can shares. see why there's a political um, Yeah, true. True. Hold back on that. I don't think it's justified. Um but yeah. But yeah, they basically said like the, the the number of customers we've had come in from this has been has meant that we will never change. Um That's awesome. Which let's is Let's yeah. get that down on paper. Like, <laughs> can <laughs> so someone say that to to me or write it yeah. down? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's all hearsay, but yeah, I mean that is so powerful to me because I'm.
1: Uh, and was that expected? Like, are you surprised by the wins that you're getting at the moment with the banks?
2: Um, or maybe
1: not with the all of it. It seems like there's a couple maybe on the horizon. Banks with are going to be a slow
2: moving feat, but I think yeah. Um, I think internationally though, the pressure on banks is going to increase. Yeah. Um, and actually, the thing that makes me angriest is that, I mean, people look to New Zealand as a climate leader.
0: Um, Do they? Why. <laughs> Because we had a really good marketing campaign. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why we've got these beautiful green hills when the sun sets on them. Yeah. Run, I mean, we have basically run the shifts. campaigns. Like an oil and gas exploration
2: ban to me is pretty awesome, even though we've still got p- current existing permits that need mm-hmm. to end. But it, yeah, it's interesting for me being part of an organisation that is global. And, you know, every day on the Slack channel that I'm and with all the global staff. Hearing some pretty devastating news, and then for people to actually really see New Zealand as a place of hope. Um,
1: what well, yeah. Can you give any are, other like, examples it, it, of it, stuff that gives you hope here locally? The, you're right. The ban on new exploration is is fantastic. Is there other stuff that makes you really like proud to be here?
2: Um, it's, I'm I'm really torn because I I both say very much that our government is not doing enough, um, but I think we're sending signals, even if they're all somewhat flawed or not not strong enough, I think we're sending signals that set some precedent globally for how we can tackle climate change. Um, so yeah, I also think that the zero carbon bill was pretty awesome in terms of signalling that yeah, we're going to act. Setting an um, intention. Yeah, setting intention. So that's not to say I think it's a perfect document. <laughs> <laughs> and To me that's also a win because it came from a group of young people at Generation Zero saying, hey, New Zealand needs a legislative framework to act on climate change. And they wrote it and then they pitched it to the government and it happened. So I think that's the win, actually. Yeah, the fact that it became diluted through the process, I think, was somewhat inevitable. Mm. Um, And I think that we need more of that. We need more citizens pushing for change to the point that our leaders can't ignore
1: it. We've talked to a couple of different people about this, but just to reiterate, because I think this is kind of a a nice, direct way that people can be impactful, how do people make their voices heard? Is it signing change.org petitions? Does that make an impact? Is it writing a short email to your local Member of Parliament just saying, I am for this or I am against this? Is it going to 350.org.nz and saying stuff that's going on like what is what is some tangible direct things that people can can sit down and do at a computer I think or somewhere else (laughs) or in real life (laughs) I think a mix I think a mix is
2: the most powerful Um, and most organizations use a really a mix of tactics and like 350 I was really committed to being inclusive and accessible which means that we always aim to have different ways to do stuff so that you're not if you're someone that's literally just got so much else on. And the way that you want to create change in the world is through doing online stuff. That's always there. And recognizing that people have other things on in their lives. I truly believe that the most, the best thing you could do is get part, is join a group. Um, I know for me, it's, are, they
0: re- are they physical groups?
2: Yeah. So we've got groups across the country in Auckland, Wellington, Kapiti, Nelson, Christchurch, Dunedin. Um, and in some of those centers, there's more than one group. Um, and yeah, they, they meet, some of them meet weekly, some of them meet monthly. Um, and it just means, I think the key thing that's kept me engaged in the climate space is having a community of people that care about the same thing. I don't think I would have lasted very long if I had tried to, um, address climate change alone. Yeah. It's, it's shit. Yeah. Um, are you allowed to swear on this podcast? Oh, fuck yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like some days I'm just like, it's too hard, have a cry, like don't know how to do this. And then some days I'm super positive and like truly believe that the work that we're doing is one of the best
0: ways that we can address this. But um, the
1: important thing is to band together in a group.
0: Yeah. Um, for, but in, these, in terms of, even in terms of your own mental wellbeing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Just connect. The, these yeah.
1: groups that we're talking about, they're 350.org groups specifically? 350.0. Yeah. Gotcha.
2: Um But, yeah, that probably isn't great for listeners of being like, everyone has to join a group. So um, Uh, I would also say, like –
1: We like to challenge people on the show. (laughs)
2: Um, Definitely sign petitions and definitely get involved in, like, online campaigns because their power is in numbers. Um, And I think as – I worry that we – they start to lose power when they happen – always happening um so basically the big, the larger the number the more that it signals um that there's power behind it and I'd also look into like where your money is so most people have a bank account most New Zealanders have a KiwiSaver um and basically unless you've made a decision personally to take your money out of a bank that's investing in fossil fuels or you've switched your KiwiSaver all of the default KiwiSaver options are invested in fossil fuels. And that's actually one of the things that we're trying to push to change at the moment is to get the default shifted. Um, Oh, that's right. Because if you don't
1: opt for a fund, there's some default ones that they just put your money into. Yeah,
2: and I I can't actually remember the the majority of New Zealanders are sitting in a default fund. Mm. They haven't chosen which KiwiSaver they're with. And if you're with your bank's KiwiSaver fund, you have investments in fossil fuels. So, I mean, it's weird because like... I got into this space, um, particularly the divestment space when I was at university, and it's like, I don't have any money. I don't have anything. <laughs> I still don't really How have any ironic. money. <laughs> um, but my bank account and my KiwiSaver had investments in fossil fuels, which is completely against the stuff that I care about. So, yeah. um, And it doesn't end there as well. If you're interested, if you, there are other issues that you're really passionate about. When I chose a KiwiSaver fund, I also chose one that didn't invest in... Testing on animals or didn't have any investments in companies that do and tobacco, firearms. Like, I pretty much just was like, let's get my money out of all the bad yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, while the I'm bad guys. It. Yeah.
0: Um, I know we've mentioned this before in on one of our good news episodes, um, but can you remind us how people find out about their KiwiSaver account? Yeah. So, we have a ranking of KiwiSavers
2: on our website as well as banks. And we also uh, always on our website have ways that you can get involved. So, we have a page which is current campaigns um and it's always shifting basically um the way that we decide what we focus on is is it a is it something that's investing in fossil fuels sweet we'll go after them (laughs) um so we've got all sorts of campaigns there at the moment or associated with fossil fuels or enabling a fossil fuel project to go ahead so actually one of the things that we've put some energy into is getting behind the stop a campaign in australia which is a diversion um that this would be one of the world's biggest coal mines if it goes ahead. And there's a number of organisations in New Zealand that have been involved in in this mine process. So um, are they providing the signalling for the railway? We've gone after Siemens, who's agreed to do that. Uh, and also...
1: Oh, to, to not participate. Yeah, yeah so we're basically trying to get
2: any company in New Zealand that's associated with this mine to pull out. Wow. Um, and sorry, but that's going back. The question was about the website?
0: You did answer that question. Okay, bam, cool. just like that.
1: Cool. <laughs> well, um, we have covered a whole lot of ground, but is yeah. there anything else, just as we wrap up, that you would like um, people to know who are listening to the pod?
2: I'm really wary that when I talk about this now, I like know heaps and have done it for a number of years and maybe still make being involved in this sound kind of scary. But I really want to reiterate that like the people that are involved in 350 are anyone and it's not a... No, this is it's actually mostly an older organisation in terms of who sits on our supporter base, um, and I think some of the like bravest things you can do are be to show up to a meeting for the first time by yourself, or um, you know have to make shifts in your current routine in order to make space for climate action. Um,
1: because these groups are set up for that, right? Yeah. To go, hey, you like you don't know the first dang thing, but you've got a sense that maybe things need to change at the moment. Come totally. to this group, and we are here to yeah, bring you point. into the process. Yeah, good point. Because
0: it's like you kind of think, oh, I, you have to know something about you it really, before you turn really up. Don't. Yeah.
2: Um, and you also don't have to have any like particular skills. Everyone has skills or experiences um, in really different things, um, and we really make a point of ensuring that people get an opportunity to use those i think when people think about climate activism they think that they're going to have to go in front of an oil rig or um, (laughs) put their body on the line which (laughs) direct um, action i'm all about direct action don't get me wrong but it's definitely not the first step so if you're someone that like and not everyone's into it and not everyone's (laughs) into it yeah it doesn't have to be the way that you're involved and a lot of people are part of our organization and have never done direct action and probably never will and some it's their thing but, yeah, if you're someone that, like, loves writing or researching or if you're arty or um, if you're, like, a strategic thinker, there's, there's a role for everyone. It doesn't matter what your thing is. And, yeah, we're really committed to being accessible and all our events are, like, family-friendly and um, if you've got any, like, accessibility needs, we'll always account for those. So um, don't be put off by by climate activism because it's actually just fun and everyone's really nice.
1: Awesome. (laughs) What a great note (laughs) to end on. (laughs) Erica, thank you so much for coming in and having a chat to us and for all the work that you do. thank Um, you. And everyone needs to go to 350.org.nz. And go to the global website as well because or maybe you guys share resources, I'm not sure. But man, there's We some,
2: do a bit, but the global one has way more cool stuff. The video They're way better at website stuff than I am. They're just
1: <laughs> like well, wow, they've got you know, they've got all the global resources and stuff, but the, the videos on there are such good primers for people to get to just if, if you're completely uninitiated to any of this stuff, there's like a good ten minute video and it bring you right up to speed. You're like, yeah. Whoa, okay. Yeah, where do I sign up? So really, really good stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you.